Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is fucking killing me. I'm Corinne. I'm Rainy. Welcome back. Happy Tuesday. Welcome. How are you, everybody? I mean, I'm thinking more and more because of quarantine that we need a four-day work week. What is this five-day bullshit? Fuck yeah. And we need shorter hours or flexible hours so you can just work when you are feel most productive. Yes, exactly. Gal pals are pro four-day work week, pro UBI. <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, pro choice. Pro choice, yeah. <laughs> pro BML. <laughs> right. Yeah, so welcome back. We hope everyone's having a great week. Yeah, second week of February. I was looking through my, you know, sometimes on your Instagram, like uh, memories pop up. Oh God. This time last year, I was asking all of my friends for their opinions on their favorite pizza places because I was like, for my entire birthday week, I'm going to eat pizza every single fucking day and I'm going to do it whether I have company or not. So give me all your fave places. Mm -hmm. I had a list of like, I don't know, 13 pizza places I went to, lunch, dinner, didn't matter. And I just invited people to come with me. And I was just thinking about how many people I interacted in with in that week alone compared to how many people I'm going to see this birthday week. Not that right. it's my birthday week, but it was, a, it was a fun spiral down memory lane. Yeah. Also, your birthday was like the last time we went out. 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 Hit, and by going out, we mean the last strip club. We hit a strip club and did drugs. <laughs> All right, mom. Yeah, it was a good time. And got bottle service and was hanging out with strippers on a Saturday yeah. night. It was fucking was fun. So fun. I sent Corinne a message the other day and I was like, I haven't been to a strip club in over a year. And I think that is disgraceful. <laughs> I, it was, it made me laugh. I liked it. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I'm missing rubbing up in clubs and dancing and I'm missing seeing people. I'm missing get, getting dressed up. Yeah. Oh, totally. I'm also missing just like drinking and dive bars. Oh, give patios. me sweaty Betty's. Mm. Give yes. me red wine in a fucking glass. <laughs> in a rocks glass. Yes. <laughs> Terrible red wine too. Yeah. Give me like wine on tap uh, in a rocks glass. Yes. So good. <sighs> anyway, so if you don't already know, me and Corinne have a uh, Patreon page. We talk about it literally every episode. Yep. You can donate a dollar a month, $2 a month, $3 a month, $7 a month, $30 mm-hmm. a month whatever you really want. Yes. Um, but what it does is that you get access to premium exclusive content that's made just for our Patreon members. So yep. you automatically get um, the live footage from us recording. So there's video footage mm-hmm. and you get pictures, you get little movies we might make or um, little insights. Um, and then another thing that we started doing is that you get special access to a podcast episode every month on the fifth. Yes. And what it is, is we're calling it our five on five. So we take a subject. So five accounts that are killing it right now. um, Five facts that we want to discuss. Five accounts that aren't killing it right now. Five things we want to talk about. (laughs) Five tea spilling moments. Five tea spilling (laughs) moments in the past four years that we've been doing this. (laughs) Anything really. And you get to listen to us talk about that. Just the two of us. Um, And it kind of provides you with some insight in like into us. Yes, because as we've said before, the podcast isn't really about us. Mm-hmm. It's not about us at all. Um, and so, and we try not to make it about us. 
Mm-hmm. So you can get to listen and get to know us. Exactly. If, if you're, you know, not already our friends and we're spamming you with <laughs> thousands of TikToks, you know? <laughs> yeah. Um, and like we said, like these Patreons, this money is going towards anything from mics, from our hosting site, um, monthly subscription, our website. Um, you know, it does cost money to like have a podcast. I know a lot of people think they can just like turn on a microphone and do it in their closet, but it does. I mean, you can, but that's not what we're doing. Yeah. (laughs) There are some expenses. So if you want to help us out with that, um, Mm. please go and help us out. It wouldn't be possible without you. And thank you so much. Yeah. Um, and it also helps pay the lovely Devin who works for us and she is a big part of making the podcast what it is. And mm-hmm. she is an amazing person. So she deserves to be paid. Yes. We fully <laughs> believe in paying people. So yes. we're not having people do work for us for free. I know that's like a method a lot of people take. And sometimes that's your only option. Mm-hmm. Um, but we really believe in paying people that are doing really good work for us. And that's Devin. Yes, exactly. And we appreciate every single one of our Patreons and listeners, wherever you listen, wherever you watch. So we love you. Um, this week we have Clarissa Manning, who is an associate producer for, or who was an associate producer for Shit's Creek. Yeah, Clarissa's amazing. She really takes us on a journey of, you know, of her journey as like a behind the scenes member on a TV show. That being said, if you didn't hear, the Golden Globe nominations came out this week. And I know some people are like Golden Globes. They don't feel like as prestigious or as like <laughs> thought out as some of the other award ceremonies like the critics choice or Mm -hmm. you know the oscars or the emmys but i mean schitt's creek's winning everything because it's an amazing show yeah and they were nominated for tons of awards this past week and um that's really exciting for their whole team of course because it is canadian content so it's exciting for canada too yeah one thousand percent here we go my name is clarissa manning and i'm an associate producer in toronto Okay, Clarissa, can you do me a favor and explain, mm-hmm. you were an associate producer, is that correct? Yes, that yes. was my last big job, at least, yeah. Yeah, and can you explain exactly what an associate producer does? Because I think it's like sometimes a little bit, nobody, some people in gray areas or who aren't familiar mm-hmm. with like TV and film get a little bit unsure of what that position is exactly. Yeah, so I mean, when it, beca- when it comes to producing titles, um, it's always a little bit different for every title you hear, depending on the show, depending on the network that's running the show. Um, it really can get very confusing. Uh, so for me, my associate producer position uh, kind of came organically. It's uh, often a position people grow into uh, with specific productions. And it's usually to kind of be a catch-all for things that might be slipping through the cracks or kind of just someone additional to oversee pretty much everything. So um, they can be someone who's there from prep uh, before the show even shoots all the way to post when they're finished editing. Um, And really that position will be whatever's kind of required by the production at the time. So it can really vary from person to person. Um, And with my work on Schitt's Creek, I had started with them in season three um, and uh, been promoted up into that position. And by the time I was, I had relationships with crew and different people um, 
involved in our production uh, enough so that I was able to oversee stuff like uh, casting uh, and kind of being a first step to uh, kind of pare down work for everybody else. So for showrunners, they're not seeing a thousand self tapes, they're seeing uh, kind of a shorter list that's created by um, myself or working with the writers. Uh, so it really can be whatever is required of a production and is very much a position that I think comes out of need rather than um, it just being a position available everywhere. Mm -hmm. And uh, just to add on to that, uh, just with uh, with the produce with the producing stuff, um, you have um, a lot of people you'll see with the producing title where they're actually a writer on the show, and uh, they don't necessarily do anything with producing the show. So it really can vary what it is to different people. And I, associate producer can be a vanity title as much as it is an actual title as well mm -hmm. and you so you said you started in season three of Shit's Creek and was your yeah. immediate position associate producer or was it something else no no I I'd come off of another show called 12 Monkeys uh which is with the sci-fi network it's a very mm -hmm. sci-fi show um <laughs> and I was assisting I was I was an assistant for the showrunner there and um, off of that, uh, Emily Hampshire was on 12 Monkeys and she had connected me over with Schitt's Creek uh, to assist again. And I, I had started off as an assistant for Dan and Eugene Levy in season three. Mm -hmm. So fun. It, it was, it was, <laughs> it was, um, it was a really different situation to go into because I had started, um, I had started my whole career in children's television, uh, which is uh, it's just a whole different world and and um, operates differently to, I would say, most other productions. And partially that's because they're usually non-unionized, but um, going from a tiny puppet show to a sci-fi series where um, there's explosions and stunt people and all that kind of stuff was pretty crazy. But going from that to a small, 30 minute comedy series was very different, um, completely different layout, completely different way of doing things and um, kind of less to stress about in the beginning because when I went on to the show in season three, no one had heard of it or the people that heard of it mostly were being like, strange name for a show, <laughs> I haven't watched it. <laughs> and, and that would kind of be the conversation. So, um, so yeah, I, I went on there as, as an assistant to start. Cool. By season three, they kind of like have things, things are running a little bit more smoothly now. Like there's the layout of the show is created, kind of like the style of it. Um, as you like moved up in that show and as things started to evolve in like the later seasons, how did you like, how was the adjustment to like moving from that one position to the other? And especially as the show's starting to gain, it's like really fame. It was so, it was so strange really. Like there's there's a lot to it that um, I feel like we'll get into as we talk more uh, just about being a young woman in this industry. Mm -hmm. um, the switch itself was a little difficult in the sense that people on the show who are used to you in one role have to get used mm -hmm. to you in another role. Um, so I think that was hard just even in terms of kind of the imposter syndrome feeling when people are still coming to you with old work that you used to do, it does feel a little um, like, no, this is my new role and you have to keep explaining to people. Um, mm -hmm. And that kind of went on through the whole series still for me. 
Um, and also the fact that um, with that position comes a bit more authority and you are being asked to tell people to do certain things. And again, coming from a young woman and a young woman who looks quite young as well, um, it's, it, uh, I wouldn't say resulted in any clashes or anything, but there are some people that are a lot more resistant. For example, like a 60 year old man doesn't really love to be told what to do by um, a, like late 20s woman. It's it's kind of a bit, um, I guess, confusing uh, or just not what they're used to. So it's, uh, that kind of was an issue. Um, and then beyond that, I think I kind of got to understand more the inner workings of the show and what was going into all of these decisions. And it definitely creates a lot more pressure and a lot more stress. Um, just when your responsibilities are bigger and you're starting to work on things that have a lot of money involved in them and have serious big deal contracts. And by the time that I was an associate producer, I, I got promoted at the end of season four, the show was getting recognition and it started to become that we're not only dealing with a show, but we're dealing with um, celebrities. Not that they weren't already, obviously, but uh, particularly with Dan and Annie and the younger cast, um, it was kind of newer for them. And uh, the demand was bigger. And we're kind of starting to try and shoot a show while trying to be visible mm. uh, all the time. And it kind of started to create a very interesting problem because uh, starting in season one, unknown Canadian show, um, kind of getting its its feet on the ground, um, kind of has a system in place for that, but it doesn't have a system in place for it becoming a worldwide sensation. Totally. Um, and that definitely became an issue, uh, not an issue, but it just became something that was, always in the back of our heads um especially when it became time to sell you know our stuff to get rid of everything at the end of shooting the seasons you realize that you can't you have to make sure you haven't left any um production papers or anything anywhere because people are so eager that if they find it it's like they they wow. uh they want to know everything and they want to know the behind the scenes which is great like 90 percent of the time but obviously there's stuff you don't want to be spoiled and there's mm -hmm. also certain illusions you don't want to break for people and um and I think just the responsibility became bigger not only in the actual things I was doing but the stakes of the show mm -hmm. became huge um kind of overnight almost it felt like do you what do you because that show got is getting so much recognition like this past year and obviously the last like three seasons and um what do you find was the main different of like the main difference that made that show and kept it going in a standard that was upwards compared to other shows that you worked on? Like, do you feel like it never really lost itself or do you feel like it was the community that created it? Or was it like uh, the show, like Dan, who was just like constantly mm -hmm. writing and is like so talented. Like, what do you think it was that kept that show on a trajectory upward and thriving in this high stress level? Yeah. I mean, um, just in terms of, what the crew is doing the the crew we've had um essentially has stayed relatively the same for the entirety of the six seasons there's lots of people that were working on the sixth season that worked on the first and i think that's 
I mean, that was just a big part in, in keeping the show going and keeping the quality that it was at. Kind of in terms of the show itself, kind of what's what I feel has kept it so on this like upward trajectory, I think partially it's that um, the people involved, I think uh, Eugene and Catherine um, just have a lot of respect uh, for them and I think that pulls in a generation not to not to preclude them to a single generation but um you know people that watched SCTV and, oh, and all yeah. of that kind of stuff it brings in that generation and then you have people like Dan and Annie um like a lot of people knew Dan from uh, the Hills After Show and, and <laughs> stuff like that so he was he was known um mm-hmm. and I think it kind of got that generation along with it and then kind of because those two are covered the younger generation gets involved. And I think we've always said that this show has managed to encompass a really wide audience mm. where the fans that are coming up to them are anywhere from like age six to age like 78 or really? older. Like I, you, it's kind of incredible. So I think it's rare to find shows that manage to span that level of um, that amount of uh, different types of audiences. Um, but also I feel like the message and, you know, Dan and, and the rest of the team have said this a thousand times, but the message is something that people do want to kind of hold on to, um, love, acceptance, kindness, um, seeing queer characters on screen, uh, that are just depicted kind of the way you'd want to see and and maybe a little bit different and having a character that's pansexual and Mm -hmm. you know it is kind of that part of representation really mattering and um you know I could (laughs) I I there's there's other um things that I don't feel are represented in our show and I think that's been discussed as well and I'm Mm -hmm. happy to discuss that more but um just in terms of what's created some of the um uh, upper trajectory I think is is everything I've mentioned and then also once it gets more popular you have different celebrities talking about it and mm-hmm. uh, that of course always helps and people like that reference the reference in the show like Mariah Carey and, mm-hmm. and stuff like that <laughs> it's really you know it really helps um, it helps a lot and it's very not funny but it's interesting and I personally think smart that we had ended um, kind of really at the high point. And there's some times where you think like, wow, now the show's reaching its stride. It would be great to make more seasons, but at the same time, and I find this with English television a lot, um, knowing when to end something, even though people would love to see more of it is ultimately protecting what made that thing good. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so I I, I think that it could have kept going up but I think if you kept doing it it could very easily go down very quickly and um and and it's always interesting to see how those things go but yeah sometimes it's just luck and a mixture of all the right things at the right time and yeah it all yeah it it really kept like the integrity of the show by kind of like ending it when it was Mm -hmm. at its highest point right yeah Absolutely. Um, with like that good, obviously there's been a couple things like that beautiful like euphoria moment you kind of mentioned. There's also been moments that it's people have commented are, are lacking, and I actually have never heard that. So what what were mm-hmm. what was that? Uh, I would definitely uh, say. Well, I think this is one where I have to be a little careful, but um, <laughs> it's okay. So I'll start my reply again just for continuity. But 
Um, you know, I think that when you have one good uh, of like representing the queer community, I think that's wonderful. Um, but you know, you can only lean on that so much if you aren't representing, um, you know, BIPOC people on the show. Um, totally. BIPOC love, like it's 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 something that for me, especially with the recent climate, has been very 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 noticeable for me with anything I'm watching that is that does have primarily white focused characters and you know especially for something like Schitt's Creek you can make the argument that um you know yes it's a small town uh these people are like supposed to be like wealthy and like not great but at the same time if you're creating a world where love is love is love and and we wanted to create a world where like the hatred against uh, gay people doesn't exist totally. you know I feel like you could always also create a world where not everyone in a small town is a white person and totally. yes we do have a couple characters that aren't and I I am I think that's very much appreciated but like with a lot of content we see even when diversity is shown on screen often those people are kind of put into the best friend role or the background right. character role um and I even think like often these things aren't necessarily intentional, but you know, s systematically, it is interesting to see how systematic it is in the sense that when you put out casting calls, casting directors often send a big old list of um, white people. Mm -hmm. it's, it's, I've seen it multiple times, even when we're asking for diversity, oftentimes we have to go back and ask for more mm -hmm. and um, and yeah, when the selection is very slim or you're having people who are quite clearly white being passed off as diverse, uh, it's, it's a little eerie and, and something that I've noticed. And I'm sure, a I mean, it's not a secret. Everyone knows that this is an issue, but, um, you know, I don't think a lot of places are working crazy hard to correct that. Mm -hmm. Uh, and yeah, we can't do everything all at once. Yeah. Like, also sure. it was written by like a white man and that's at some point we just have to be like that's he like is writing what he knows right and it yeah. would almost be it would be inappropriate genuine. for him to you know I mean and you have a diverse cast of writers I'm sure but or not yeah writers but at some point you also just like write what you know you know and I'm sure yeah that's what happened with what Dan was doing you know I agree I think especially initially you've created an idea and I'm sure that you don't really think twice about it and mm -hmm. I think diversity in a writer's room is definitely where you're able to capture some of the voices that you would like that don't necessarily own you you don't necessarily own yourself right. um and I think yeah it's just important that if you do bring those writers in that you listen to them and mm -hmm. um you know kind of I, I think especially uh, I think just something that everything could use more of an understanding and and I do think that it comes from deep deep systematic issues um, at least some that I think are very obvious in in the film and television industry yeah of course yeah. this just makes me think about um, Bridgerton I've only mm -hmm. watched a few episodes but the way that they've cast people of color and mm -hmm. not necessarily gone with traditional historical norms right because they've yeah. casted people of color in um right they're more doing like colorblind casting whereas like is also can be an issue and sometimes because you're not taking into account like the history of that person's mm -hmm. um, like struggle to get to where they are yeah right yeah it's it's 
it's um I think it's like a, a difficult one because I I do think everyone not everyone I think most people are, are trying mm-hmm. and trying to correct the issues and I think that there are a lot of successful things out there and I think I think you do see a lot on screen um of people nowadays trying more to push towards uh kind of showing a representation of all people but what I always find funny about this or not funny at all really is is that behind the camera is also a whole different story yes. and um something I've noticed lately I I keep a I keep a lot of little notes on my phone of stuff I see on sets because I I always want to make sure that I'm not misremembering stuff mm-hmm. I I kind of try and keep uh, account of how many women are on set how many uh people of color how many um uh queer people like obviously you don't always know that but um kind of what are we seeing behind our sets and from my experience, uh, it is a high, high, high percentage of uh, white people behind the screen. And um, I know that this number kind of differs when you get into um, lower budget stuff. And by lower budget, I mean, you know, something that comes in from Netflix is going to be the highest budget. But Mm -hmm. You kind of get smaller shows, some CBC shows might be uh, lower down in that respect. Mm-hmm. And you do actually see more diverse crews and diverse cast because um, it's usually a lot of younger people, uh, people that haven't had their full training yet, people that are still trying to learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're definitely, you don't see it where all the money is. And I always find that very interesting. Um and it's very interesting to see companies or networks push for more on-screen representation, but not push for the same representation behind uh, the screen. And in America, there are quite a few actors actually, and actors have more power in, in Hollywood on sets, but they have their inclusivity writers where a certain percentage of the staff need to be um, BIPOC, a certain number of this, uh like they or they won't work and it really does push you know that's where kind of some of the power comes from and it really does push for that uh diversity um but I mean I could talk about this forever but again just another systematic issue of how the training is done and how the hiring is done in our industry I think leads to these huge discrepancies um in diversity and and I would love to see that change right do you mean in like how the hiring is done? I've always been told that it's pretty, uh, there's a lot of nepotism in film and TV. So it's all about like who you know and who you've worked with in the past. And those circles stay like really small and tight. And those are mm-hmm. the people that continuously get work. So that's really hard for someone to come in that might not have an in. You know what I'm saying, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Oh, I know exactly <laughs> what you're talking about. Um, it's a huge issue in the industry for so many reasons. I mean, there's nothing wrong with a network-based industry, I think. No, I, I understand that to to an extent. But uh, in terms of the nepotism side of that, um, you know, it's, it's a very real thing. Um, especially coming into this industry, I, I've been in it about uh, seven years, let's say. Um, and that's considered relatively new, mm-hmm. fine by me. Um, but kind of looking around, uh, kind of hearing the way people talk about it, you'll, you'll encounter someone who 
is in a higher up position that's not really doing their job, is not really fulfilling their responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And you ask someone, why does that person still have their job? And they're like, oh, this insert exec producer's name here uh, has been working with this guy for years. Um, We have to keep him on. There's no choice. And all of a sudden in a huge production, you have a key personnel member who isn't doing their job very well and everyone is covering for this. Mm. So as for the exact producer to not have any issue with their hire, their person. Right. Um, and some of these bonds go back 40 years. Like, you know, the, the age discrepancies in the industry, at least behind the scenes is very, very clear. Um, and you do see a lot of people just hiring their friends. Um, you hear of a lot of shows. Uh, if I talk to people like, I might try and get on that show. Oh no, that person has the same team. They always do. And I understand, I do understand hiring people that you trust and respect, of course. But where I find a huge issue with it is that is that you do end up having some people put into positions and roles that are not suited for them or they've gotten comfortable to a point mm. that they know no one will touch them and they won't have any uh, blowback to uh, what they've said or done or the work they're doing. And it just creates a really inefficient workplace. And it drives me nuts because I think it gets in the way of work to have to play politics, essentially. Um, And you hear that often is used as an excuse as to if you don't get that pay raise, if uh, uh, one of your team has to get fired, all this kind of stuff it's like what it comes down to the excuse often is oh it's politics it's actually nothing to do with you but it's politics so it's to do with something that happened 20 years ago like when you were eight years old it's like it's 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 kind of very frustrating and it happened to me um with a show where I I was an assistant to a showrunner and um I had worked really hard it was like an eight month show 18 hour days and I was, did a great job in my opinion and in other people's opinions, it's okay to brag about doing a good job. But um, I, I was told, by the way, like at the end of this, when the credits come down at the end of the show, you're gonna be listed as an office production assistant. Great position, great entry level position. But I was like, that's not the job I did. Why is that? Oh, it's politics, something to do with this is exact from the network has an assistant but like the network doesn't pay for them so they're worried that the network will be asked to pay for the assistance so we can't give you that credit and I was absolutely furious because I'd worked very hard um and I'd walked around to basically everyone in this production and had meetings like how can I change this this isn't fair it's my title and they said no 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 why do you even care it's just going to fly past the screen I'm like it's a matter of principle I did the work and um by the end of it they had said no I think uh three episodes had gone out on television with me listed as an office production assistant and then the showrunner actually was in the editing uh room and saw that I was listed as an office production assistant and he was and he was furious and asked them to change it and they did just like that so the long, long story short of that was that all happened because some guy I've never met um, might have had an issue with payment of his assistant, who's like who's never spoken a word to me. So 
it's really frustrating to have things like that in place of people's buddies and who they know kind of affect how you work because I don't think that's yeah. fair at all also like oh, sorry the main thing I was going to say is like it's all even like the vocabulary it's which is like something we've been talking about is like some guy yeah <laughs> which is like <laughs> let's call a spade a spade here. Sure. We can say sometimes it happens. Women do receive nepotism, but mm-hmm. let's say 70% of the time, if someone's not doing their job and have gotten away with placement, it. it's probably a man, yeah. right? Like yeah. that's just, that, that's just statistics. statistics. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, if it's, just, if it's a title and all it is is flashing by on the credits, then why does it matter if they change it? That's like yeah. such a weird hill to die on. Who cares? Mm-hmm. Like, I understand your frustration, but from their point of view, it's ridiculous. It's very much so. And it is often, yeah, it is men making these decisions. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I've sat in, in many meetings. Often they have the heads of each department there. And the most I've seen in a room is two, two women, mm-hmm. I think, um, at, without including myself. And um, it's just something that's very noticeable. And especially now that it's been a few years on from Weinstein, uh, mm-hmm. I see a lot of men starting to get a bit complacent about it again. And this has been a big part of my career, a huge part of my career, and probably like any woman that's walked anywhere ever. But um, <laughs> in terms of the film and television industry, it was very interesting when Weinstein happened. It happened about two or three years into my career. and. Um, before that, I had already experienced a bunch of sexual harassment on set. And my understanding of it was that that was just part of the job. That was what I was told. And that is what I kind of just accepted. I tried to be flattered by it and kind of move on to the point where, um, when I had worked on another show and and a woman had come in, she was the same age as me and she told me that someone was one of someone was kind of bothering her on set I had said to her oh that's just something that happens like you'll get used to it and about like I sat with that and I was thinking to myself later I was like I was like did I just say that to another woman like just get used to being harassed it's fine and I realized that was wrong and I went up to her and I apologized and, and we talked about it and then I had gotten um, a production manager had made a kind of lewd gesture at me at work and I was really upset about it and I didn't really understand why I was so upset and I was talking to someone else on the crew and she goes to me you know that's not okay that he did that and I was like yeah but I'm sure he was just like joking around it seems so little like I'm silly to be to be kind of worried about it and she's like no that's a big deal you should talk to your bosses about it etc etc um and I went through that process and it was terrible no one knew how to handle it nothing ended up happening we had a sexual harassment seminar that was kind of made things worse and I don't know if you've had to kind of I don't know if they're the same for every industry but what usually happens in ours is a someone comes in and gives kind of the usual expected speech but it's a lot of focus on it's a focus on language almost in a legal sense yes. um yes, yeah. yes and uh so it feels just more about liability and is a lot of stuff that I think makes harassment worse like telling uh people that you can't tell someone that that like getting very specific about like how you can comment on someone's clothing and stuff mm-hmm. 
I think especially to men looks like a big list of rules, um, silly rules. And they're like, why can't I say this stuff? What's made worse is that in the film and television industry, at least you have, it's a weird format, especially because you send six months with a group of people, you get very close to them. Some of these people have known each other for 40 years. Um, some people are coming in for the first day of work ever in the industry on a day. It's like the relationships are very different and you need training that adjusts to that. Um, and I got the opportunity on Schitt's Creek actually as part of my job as an associate producer to work with our lawyers and create something that was more of a conversation um, and something that addressed that, yeah, your industry is weird. There are these gray areas. Let's talk about them and understand that, yeah, maybe that that person officiated your wedding. You can go give them a hug. Like context is important. Understanding context, like yeah. all the minutia yeah. that kind of is necessary. And and it was just received. I think I saw a lot of the men on our team just very surprised and kind of a little shell-shocked hearing uh, these women they've known for years and years talk about their experiences. Mm -hmm. Just being like suddenly the person that like went to their kid's wedding is explaining how much this a man's actions have hurt her and mm -hmm. it kind of does hit with them a little bit different. And um, that was a really great experience to go through. Um, and at least for the following year, it fixed the problem. But when new management comes around or people say there's no need for a sexual harassment seminar, um, I think it does leave room for worse things to happen. And I think my big difficulty with the industry is that I've seen when you deal with problems like these and when you talk to the execs in charge of this and that, you kind of see, you start to see the cracks in how things are working and men that you trust perhaps are actually those types of men to protect people that are hurting people. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's the really sad thing I learned is that it's become so much part of the game of protecting people, of making the show go on, that um, stuff will go under the radar and there are people still working today that have kind of committed some serious offenses in my opinion that won't be reprimanded either for ease or for money reasons. Um, the thing is, if your issue is, you know, the Grip Electric who's there one day a week, great, fire him, no problem. But if your issue is um, your main actor, mm -hmm. like, and I think there are some shows, I guess I shouldn't name, but these, this is a positive thing, but there are some shows that have had a main actor be the issue and they have, sternly corrected it yeah. and totally. it did and it they did it and yeah. and I think when you see a production do that you kind of look at other productions like why can't you do that and it's not the fix all for everything I don't think everyone should just get fired like that but mm -hmm. um we don't really have in the film and television industry in my opinion we don't really have something we don't really have a good system for this because there are very few people that are actually trained in due process and how things work um there are very few people that have the time to do that because it's not their specific job and it's not a requirement for any of these leadership positions to like have read all of the union books backwards and front and understand all of the harassment rules like we don't have an hr department um, it's a huge disservice to the industry because 
as much as you think you might be getting away with things and saving money, I think it just creates a bigger problem for later on. Um, And you need only look at um, Ellen DeGeneres or the Governor General of Canada (laughs) to realize that if you don't address these things properly, they'll come back to bite you in a much harder way later on. Um, But I do think within the industry, there's so much money involved and power and power dynamics that it can create not only can create monsters but it can protect monsters and make it part of the job to protect monsters right mm, of course I can can I ask you more about your experience with sexual harassment Clarissa yeah of course yeah um I would love to know because I think I'm trying to relate it to my own experiences and only within the last few years have I been able to pick up on things fairly quickly and be like, this is, this is not okay. And sort of speak my mind. I want to know about where your process was from working in the show where you kind of let things slide. And then when you didn't anymore, and then how long from that second point were things resolved if they ever were. Mm -hmm. That's such a good question. And honestly I would I I feel like I am gonna kind of mention some names here and I and I do want them to be tapped in because I'm kind of at a point where I'm over it great um so I will tell you I will tell you all about my my experience before and then kind of the yeah okay so I mean how so how I dealt with experiences kind of before all the wine scene stuff where I didn't even have the vocabulary to understand what was going on was a lot of mine was a lot of nervous laughter a lot of it um yes yes the laughter the walk away like I I would say one of my big skills is being able to talk to people um kind of communication and um especially when you're newer to an industry uh you kind of want to keep in good graces with uh all the higher ups and um kind of just laughing and going along with it was my big thing and being one of the people like I can stick around I can take a joke kind of Mm. thing um kind of one of the most physical things that had happened to me at work was um my co-worker had who I was very friendly with he had um and I forget the reason why but he had come over and he had put his hand over my mouth and kissed the back of his hand and I remember that happening and I was like I was really angry and I was so shell-shocked and I was kind of like in my head I was like be very clear that that wasn't okay but then I kind of ended up like laughing it off anyway um so really it was just a lot of a lot of laughing and a lot of uncomfortable feeling afterwards and a lot of gaslighting myself of like it wasn't a big deal like these people were joking around you need to calm down because there was stuff I would get upset about that wasn't harassment that maybe was a little, you know, I think at that time and that age, like I was in my earlier twenties and uh, it was kind of the big uh, time of getting offended and upset by a lot of stuff. And I was very fired up and there's stuff that I think is worth getting angry and upset about, of course, but the switch for me, I mean, the switch of understanding honestly, truly came with the Weinstein um stuff in the me too movement I was glued I was glued and I still am but I was absolutely glued to my phone tv everything I was like oh my god the thing I thought was bad is actually bad like people are saying Mm -hmm. it people are saying this man is a monster and also it's possible like this tycoon this 
this person that you needed on your side to get anything made has been brought down. Um, so it kind of did make me feel like anything was possible. And I had walked into the fifth season of our show and to our uh, exec producer and I had said, look, we need to have a sexual harassment seminar and a better one. And the, the reason I had said it was because we had had a director on season four um, of Schitt's Creek called Bruce McCullough, who is from Kids in the Hall. He's one of the kids. Um, and Bruce McCullough um, was doing numerous things on set that were completely inappropriate. And I'll only speak to my experiences just because I don't want to speak for other people. But um, for me, it was mostly comments. Uh, I think I remember one day coming in in a dress uh, and I asked him how his day was going. And he said, it's a good day because you're wearing a short skirt and we can only pray for a breeze. That was in front of other people too. Um, wow. And uh, yeah. Gross. And once he oh. uh, said to me, we were talking about like Yul Brenner. Um, and I was saying, I thought he was quite handsome despite what other people think. And he said, yeah, you probably fucked him uh, back in the day. And yeah, <laughs> this isn't even the worst of what he did, but. <laughs> For him with me, it was a lot of comments and I knew with other people um, there was there was touching involved. There was a lot of grabbing. There was aggression. Um, there was over affection towards certain people that was like people found like uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So I had come in and I said, we need to do something about this and we need to make sure we don't hire this man again. Mm -hmm. um, and um, this EP says to me, why? Why? I said, he's very... I'm like to start like he's just very touchy-feely he said inappropriate comments and the EP cuts me off and he says no 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 he's touchy-feely with me like it's just the kind of guy he is like no. da, 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 da. and I and I so mm -hmm. after that it was like all right okay and I was confused and I started to walk out and I got kind of round the door and I thought to myself this wine scene thing has just happened clearly no one else is gonna do anything about this and I just feel like I owe it to myself and like every woman I've ever met to go back in there. And I, I walked back in and I said, actually, this isn't good enough. Regardless of whether or not you care about the actual people, we are opening ourselves to be liable for a bunch of crap. That's when people start listening. Um, <laughs> can cost us money, et cetera, et cetera. And kind of made a fuss and that's how it was allowed. And I went with him and uh, production manager at the time to um, a seminar run by the CMPA, the Canadian Media Producers Association, I think. Um, <laughs> they ran a really great uh, sexual harassment training seminar for, um, for people in leadership positions. Um, and I learned a lot from that. That was a great resource. So that was kind of what triggered it. And now at this point, I'm very my I'm trying really hard to stop with the fake laughing thing mm, um yeah, I had so hard you know, yeah when you said that I was like "Ooh, that is like something that like is just like ingrained in you from like yeah. being like six years old it feels like you yeah there's a woman oh a hundred percent and it's hard because you do you're like I'm ruining the fun that's at least what my mm. head says is I'm mm. ruining the fun I can't take a joke but what I've noticed I, I had a really good experience with this uh, sitting at a lunch table with one of my co-workers that I like a lot. I really respect. And he's an older man and he had made 
some like stupid inappropriate joke and instead of laughing I was just like I don't find that very funny I find it kind of like horrible and rude and everyone got quiet and awkward and at that moment I was like oh I've ruined everyone's fun but then he was like I'm sorry I said I'm sorry I said that and I was like that's good thank you for apologizing and then everyone kind of moved on and I was like and it and it never happened again so right I don't you know I don't think anyone's just inherently evil like I feel like a lot of these things are learned behaviors and they are possible to unlearn and I do see some men in the industry trying really hard to actually unlearn that stuff and actually trying to support the women that they know in this industry um but even you know even those people are still kind of messing up here and there it's it takes a lot to change someone's mind and I understand the argument of like the person when you're someone dealing with it to have to educate everyone on it is also very exhausting Mm -hmm. but um you know I think in some cases it's the only option um but my yeah my experiences with it I have been kind of endless on every every set I've been on so far I've had an issue with it but the other thing to keep in mind is that I'm often the only young woman Mm -hmm on set um and I think that that just um kind of feels like a field day for some people um and you know affects you in a lot of ways I try really hard to make sure I still kind of dress the way that I like to because I like to dress up a little bit I like to put on makeup and I'm very determined to not kind of have that bullied out of me because right yeah I know really amazing women in this industry I was talking to a dear friend of mine just the other day about the fact that she uh realized that she was like basically the since the first time she got harassed on set she just started to be like how do I make myself smaller like dress boyish and all this kind of stuff and um it's very ingrained in her but something really wonderful she said to me was that um she is really inspired by like the younger people coming in and looking around and being like, Oh, this isn't okay. Mm-hmm. Um, because it makes her look around and, and I feel like a lot of women get in the same position when you're so, when something's introduced to you is just the way things are mm-hmm. kind of, you accept that and it's hard to be like, maybe it isn't. Um, and I think hearing other people, come in and look at your situation and be like that's not okay like what happened with me mm-hmm. and the gross gesture from the the production manager it was like I had ha- I had to have someone else explain to me why that wasn't okay mm-hmm. um because I had been told for a lot of the time like laugh go along with it yeah. and get over it it's also it's you know it's challenging because you don't want to start a scene like kind of like what you were saying and but you also feel a sense of um, responsibility probably for, for the next age of mm-hmm. people coming up. And something that like, I just remember being so prevalent. I watched the movie Bombshell like um, a few months ago. And mm-hmm. I remember just like crying so hard in the moment when um, they're talking. And I think it's uh, like Nicole Kidman's character when she knew about the harassment from, um, the what's his name I can't think of it right now Roger Ailes from Roger Ailes and Margot Robbie's character being like but you should have said something you put all these other young women in danger by not saying something Mm -hmm. and you're putting all these people like you needed to warn us if this was happening it was like your responsibility and you don't want to have that in in you like you don't want to put other people in situations that have made you as a 
woman uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I struggle with this all the time in the yeah. sense that you have to be really careful because you don't want to be unemployable. Totally, um, yeah. Yes. Which is horrible. I mean, I, I I think just to reference another show, I don't know if you guys watch Bojack Horseman. Yes. <laughs> which to me is just like, it's it's spectacular. It's a great show to learn about mental health, but it's a great show about the industry too. I love mm. I love the way that they approach it. And in the most recent season, they had um, a woman was struggling on set because uh, like the character of Bojack had essentially choked her while like being drugged out on set. And she had to play it off as a joke because she didn't want to become un unemployable for that. And she does another movie where the guy kind of does something unexpected. They're just mm -hmm. dancing. And then she like freaks out about it and no one understands why, but like, obviously she knows that she has to pretend like it never happened. Mm -hmm. yes. And then later on, there's just a conversation between that director and the director of a huge new female superhero movie. And mm -hmm. she's like, Oh, I was thinking of this woman. And he's like, Oh, she's actually very difficult to work with. And she doesn't get the job. Like <laughs> yes. I, it's so, it, I remember just seeing that and it's a small moment, but I'm just like, wow it it really is interesting firstly how it can be viewed from the outside and um how quickly how people can at least in this industry have that conversation and kind of end a career i've heard about a lot of a lot of women in this industry have been i've been told about have been called crazy and or really mean and I'm not going to lie. There's a couple of women that I've worked with that are really mean and do things that are really crazy. And I don't think that's right in any scenario. Um, but there's also a lot of men that are still employed that do the same stuff. Very much so. <laughs> yes. Very much so. And, yeah. oh God, I'm sorry, I'm not going to do that again. Um, and it's very much like, um, it's, it's, it's kind of like, what am I trying to say with this? It's, um, I'm gonna lose my train of thought with this. Just give me okay. a second to get back to it. Um, I find that um, also people that don't like fully understand things yet, especially see young people coming along being like, we should change everything. And then being like, what do you know? What do you know? You've barely been in this industry. And yeah. I do think that applies to some things, but I don't think wanting a peaceful work culture where people feel comfortable and safe to come into work is a crazy idea and I don't think it's impossible you know and I think that people kind of get shown as foolish when other shows have no problem doing that very thing mm -hmm. um you know uh people always say that that television productions here and stuff can't go very green can't be very environmental but you look at something like uh The Walking Dead is an entire is a green production they use ipads they have very little to no paper um they use water bottles uh reusable water bottles and it's uh it's doable not only doable it's doable on a ginormous huge mm -hmm. prosthetic stunt filled show so when you hear people um especially older people being like it can't be done i'm like you're just showing yourself to be outdated Do you what's the point in existing in this in this medium without adapting to what's being thrown at us and you'll see like it's very funny not funny at all to be in, in COVID right now but uh production is still open and um has gone a lot more electronic as it should have years ago in my opinion but due to the circumstances and 
there are some departments and people absolutely imploding at the fact that they have to do their onboarding digitally. And I do understand that adjusting to new formats is tricky, but complaining about it when that's just what's happened, it's just how the industry is changing, doesn't really make much sense to me. We're adapting to what we're being given. And I feel like it's the same. We have more clarity and understanding of sexual harassment and harassment that happens on sets and the power inequalities and, and all of this kind of stuff. Now we should be adapting to fit in with that. And, and some places are and some places aren't. But the people that aren't addressing it, in my opinion, are just setting themselves up for a huge bombshell, no pun intended, to uh, happen Um to kind of happen later on in their careers um I just think morally it's it's just not right and at some point you have to look at yourself in the mirror and be okay with what you're seeing um and I just I'm sure a lot of people who are doing terrible things do just that because they're living in their own little world where that is fine but uh for me even though a lot of stuff could threaten my career I and I do struggle with this but I'm trying to be as transparent as I can where I can because I just don't really understand the point of being alive in this world if you aren't going to try to help other people. And that's not saying that every woman who's ever been harassed should go around talking about it. It's an incredibly traumatic, difficult thing and the processes in place do not work for us. Um, but I do encourage people to talk to each other about it at the very least because it's it's something that's very isolating yet something pretty much every woman has been through. So um, the more we talk about it, and I think the more men hear women talk about it, um, the more it'll stick in because I think a lot of men don't see it as real until they see the person hurting in front of them. Right. I have a question about, um, are you working on a show right now, Clarissa? No, I am not. Okay. Um, I was just like thinking about working standards and representation in this like COVID era of production mm -hmm. and wondering if it has changed or if you see anything that's dramatically different. Cause I would like, because the industry was shut down for a long period of time. And because mm -hmm. right now everybody is hunting for a job, the people that are able to get jobs are the people with the experience, with the connections, with all of those things that we were talking about before. So I'm wondering if that's like setting us back in representation and new jobs for the younger generation that are going to make changes in the industry. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's setting us back in, in a few ways, I would say. Unfortunately, I don't think it's improving much mm -hmm. um, because firstly, the focus is very much on COVID. Um, you go into work. I mean, I, I've been, I have been working sporadically and um, sporadically. But going into uh, work is a whole thing. There is um, every everywhere has a COVID policy. There are uh, people wearing masks, um, protective glasses. If you're in an office, everyone has a protective screen around them. Um, a lot of the jobs have been uh, really uh, focused. Mm -hmm. uh, people have more specific job roles. There are less roles because they're trying to reduce the amount of people yeah. on sets in the office um it's basically working with as few people as possible as efficiently as possible and 
a lot of the people in charge of this kind of transition have been the people in these higher up positions now and those people are the majority older white men which is kind of hilarious in the sense that I think a lot needs to happen technologically and they could do with bringing on more young people yes. I have a I have a friend in, in a production office uh and she her main job right now is helping people use discord um which is not the work that she usually does. So I think even for uh, people that are in the industry and doing well, their jobs are turning into something else um, right. that is very COVID focused. Um, and so, yeah, it does feel like there's less opportunities. There's less smaller productions going right now because they aren't able to afford the testing mm -hmm. um, or, the or the safety requirements they need. And those are where a lot of people with less experience will go to get their experience. Um, and a lot of the positions that are available are COVID, uh, positions, COVID jobs. So it's created this new, um, yes, it's created this new job sector, but once hopefully everything goes to plan and COVID does become not a thing, um, that, that, that unit's gone. Right. And then the people involved, it's like, it is what you do with it. Maybe you made the connection to get on and do your other thing, but it's difficult to be like that position really leads to growth. So it doesn't right. really fill in that gap of bringing in new people, training people up. Um, really, and I've talked to many people in the industry about this and they're frustrated with it too, is there's no infrastructure for training for, uh, for a lot of positions, not all positions, but you know, um, kind of being becoming a production manager um often you'll be an assistant production manager and the production manager is supposed to teach you things you need to know but if that person doesn't want to teach you if they're not very nice if they're too busy for it then you don't get the training uh there's not really anything official in place uh which is pretty nuts considering the level people get to and the amount of money and the money that they hold in their hands, also the fact that they are in charge of people's safety. Right. Um, and I talk about safety so much because I think that obviously being safe is important. You have lots of dangerous situations that can happen on set, which are very manageable if you have people who are very well versed in the rules and the requirements and the regulations. And to me, the people that know the most about that are all of these younger people coming in because they're spending the time training themselves, reading through the union rules to the point where they know more than someone who is 40 years their senior mm -hmm. and it's very because the person 40 years their senior has been doing it for however long and doesn't feel that they need to refresh or anything like right. that and you get into situations where people are on set and um god forbid something terrible happens and terrible things have happened and i consider the sexual harassment and harassment side of things a big part of safety as well and uh oh, yeah yeah i would expect more training to be involved with people who are responsible for the well-being of others and from what i've seen it's not in place and i would love to be told i'm wrong by someone but i don't think i don't think that's going to happen cuz it's just how it is right now yeah it's so interesting to see all of these like COVID compliance officer positions pop up and mm -hmm. what's going to happen to those people and the training 
like some of them are like, you don't need experience. We just need you to be here so that we fit that role for this production so that mm -hmm. we can actually do it. Cause we need someone that, under that role. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Seems crazy it's to completely, me. Yeah, it is crazy. You're not wrong. Like it is, it is crazy. <laughs> and I, you know, I get it. They're trying to just get people up to do it. And it's, it, and it's partially also because a lot of people working in the industry are hesitant to get into roles that aren't their own. And I do understand that to some extent, but yeah, there's not really, you would just expect there to be someone who really is in charge of like actually knowing everything. And there's a way to know that they know everything, but um, I think the situation perhaps obviously is maybe a little too dire to be able to get someone who for sure knows everything, but again, feels, uh, yeah, it feels like that should be like the health and like someone who's like a health and safety person. Mm -hmm. Like doesn't that feel like that's the natural. Yes. Like from the yes. position from them to go from, but that's not happening. Like those people aren't in charge of COVID. It's very weird. <laughs> no, yeah. Some places will have a, a health and safety person involved mm -hmm. in their unit, but, um, this is just from my personal experience. I haven't, I wouldn't say that everyone taking on that role is necessarily experienced for it. Um, I would say that the rush to get people perhaps uh, uh, sometimes oversteps the requirement they would have for training. Mm -hmm. I feel like we could go on forever. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you mean. I know what you mean. Yeah, there's a, it's a lot to unpack. I think there's years and years and years of systematic issues. Um, Corinne, would you like to ask the question? I would. Krista, <laughs> is being an artist fucking killing you? Uh, um, yeah, it is actually. Um, <laughs> <laughs> to say. I, I know I talk like, I, I feel like often I, I kind of get into quite a negative space talking about the film and television industry. And it's only because I feel that there are so many great people involved in it and there's so much potential for creating great content in a great environment. Um, and it's just frustrating to see something that I think is quite simple, just not be, not be put into place. Um, so with that being said, I mean, it's killing me in a lot of senses. It's, it's kind of sometimes difficult to see change coming. Uh, it's really difficult to kind of have people, make sure people give you respect. Um, it's hard to, to change people's opinions of you when they do see you as just a young person who doesn't know what they're talking about. Um, it's difficult being a woman in, in this industry and having to prove every day that you know what you're doing, but not just that, you have to be spectacular, excellent. And if you make a mistake, it's a huge deal. And you yeah. have to see other people, you have to see men not get those same reprimands and not face those same issues. Mm -hmm. um, and I think I get, I often get very sad about what I consider the unfairness of it all and seeing people thrive who perhaps don't deserve it and people take advantage of people who don't deserve it. And um, it's kind of easy to get very down on it. Um, but what I always say, at least at this point, is I really love making television. I love meeting people. I love the people that work in television and film. Um, there's a lot of really, really great people. And it's really what keeps me up um, in it is because I really do love it at its core, but it kills me because it's very difficult to just love it at its core. It's not enough, really. Um, you kind of have to get up every day and be ready to battle. Um, 
and it's exhausting. And and I myself, you know, I, 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 know, I try and find another way to phrase it than like saying I struggle with anxiety and depression because I don't, I don't even necessarily struggle with it, but I have both of those things. Yeah. <laughs> and, <laughs> it's like, I don't struggle with it. It comes very easy. It comes yeah. very, oh, yeah. you believe. Um, but it adds another layer on. And I think for me, that does make it harder, but also I find especially, I find that there are parts that I think make me a better artist. Um, I think being able to feel things and feeling things really hard does kind of propel uh, the things you love. And it really does propel me to, to create an environment that people are happy and feeling safe in because it matters so much to me and it is difficult and painful because you do see people get hurt and you see yourself get hurt you see terrible things happen and unfair things happen but you know uh when I did have the opportunity to run the sexual harassment seminar at work I had women coming up afterwards just saying thank you and it's just stuff like that where it's like that is what it's worth it it's exhausting but it's worth it um not necessarily for the praise I'm not at all for the praise but because um uh I think the way that people were talking to me you could tell that they were actually like this this is actually what we needed this is this is now actually a resource and we feel people see us and and that's such a big deal so it keeps me going but it's very hard because it's getting up and battling against a bunch of different things every single day but if I didn't love it I I would wouldn't be doing it it's like if I if I cared about anything else I would go for it but at this point um I really want to keep going and I I want to forge a path to be able to um be one of those people setting the tone for everything and um I think that's kind of one of the few ways that things can change is getting different people into these positions of power I think it should happen everywhere and mm -hmm. I would love to see more representation and I would love to be part of bringing in more representation and changing the landscape of film and television production and with all the amazing people that I know at this point I think it's a very real possibility I think we're all working towards the same thing and piece by piece I think we're seeing people want to create a better world going forward whether it's in the film and television industry or just in the world being kinder to one another and mm -hmm. and I think especially after COVID like it kind of should put things into perspective for people I think especially I love working in film and television but we're not on the front we're not frontline workers we're not the heroes every day and I think we should take it for what it is which is creating our art and nobody is I don't want to say nobody is dying but it's like the the urgency that I think people feel pushing them towards making unsafe difficult decisions um aren't really there mm -hmm. uh we're, we're making content it's great it helps people get through um and we can do that in a safe and happy fun way which sounds really cheesy but I think it's true so <laughs> Oh, that was wonderful. Thank you, Clarissa. Thank you. It was lovely chatting with you both. So um, where can people find you? Like you have a website or an Instagram? Or... I don't honestly I don't really. I'm not I'm not huge on the old social medias. I have one. Um <laughs> it's Clarissa Suzette.
yet. I don't really post on that. But when I do, I do like to try and uh, outline uh, things that my friends are working on, uh, cool projects happening in the city, cool initiatives. So um, that is what I try to post. Um, otherwise, I you can. I'm just in the breeze. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, so Thank nice you. talking to you. Yeah, it was lovely mm -hmm. talking to you guys. If you have any questions about today's episode or if you liked it, go on Spotify, iTunes, anywhere you can get a podcast, really. Rate us, review sure. us, send us a note. Let us know what you thought. And thank you so much for everything today. Perfect. Bye. Thank you.